Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome along to another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive. We've got a really interesting episode for you this week as we uh, launch into Black History Month, which starts on the 3rd of October. Lots of stories that we're putting together at the REC around this and as part of our commitment to uh, diversity and inclusion. And of course, uh, the discussion that we'll go on to have with our fabulous guest in a few moments uh, we'll pick up on some of that. In the meantime, this is the first episode of our podcast since the not very mini, uh, mini budget that took place uh, uh, just after the uh, Queen's funeral eight to ten days ago now. Clearly, that's had a massive effect on uh, the economy. Some really good positive stories in there for the industry around changes in IR35, around the possibility of addressing some of the issues with the working time regulations, around the uh, reversing of the national insurance rise, but also some big long-term issues because of the scale of the giveaway, inflation rising, potentially uh, interest rates rising. We'll have to be watching that very, very carefully. If you would like a deeper dive into the REC's uh, response to the the mini-budget, do have a look at the video podcast that I put together with uh, Shazia Jazz and Kate Shoesmith on the day. And as ever, if you have any questions about what's going on around the macro picture or some of the policy changes that we're likely to see flowing from it, do get in touch with your REC team. Looking forward into the uh, next few months, clearly a greater degree of unpredictability about where the market will be as we go into 2023. Keep an eye on our latest data. The 7th of October is the day that we publish our September billings data in our report on jobs. Always well worth a look as the most up-to-date measure of your market in whichever sector uh, you are are in. And with that, probably time to turn to our theme of uh, diversity and inclusion. Well, now let's turn to today's guest on the podcast. I'm delighted to welcome uh, someone I have immense respect for, a former colleague of mine, actually, at the CBI, but now Global DI Director at Euromonitor, uh, Adefi Onwuzulike. Ifi, it's delight to have you on the REC podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. I mean, you got interested in this question of how we underpin equality, diversity and inclusion in our organisations over the course of many years. Mm. I got interested in general HR and have specialised into it over the years, now doing great work at Euromonitor, uh, which is very much the type of business that our REC members would look at as a client and say, well, how can we feed into the direction of travel that they're trying to to uh, to get to? I want to kind of pause at this moment because we've had so much change in terms of the effects of the pandemic, uh, obviously the the murder of George Floyd and the the Black Lives Matter movement, which was pande- which was kind of contemporaneous with the the, the first stage of the uh, of the pandemic. Yeah. Lots of kind of business leaders and companies thinking about what they can do, but also now potentially a bit of concern about the performance of the economy and you know there's always that false dichotomy between kind of can we afford to do what we want to do on EDNI so yeah. I wanted to ask you to start by kicking us off on your reflections on where we are on this agenda 
uh, right now in 2022 and and where we might go in 2023 what are the opportunities and challenges you see it's an interesting one because the theme for this year for black history month is time for change action not words but then when you marry up with your what you were saying and how you um presented the conversation around where the economy is change also not doesn't just require action through words it requires action through money and i'm not saying for organizations to give to charities, which I'm sure many do, but actually how you're investing in the talent that you have within your workforce now. And for me, I think thinking ahead and thinking as to where the people, I can only speak for, for, for myself, but I think also for more for most of the black people I engage with, it's about where the, what does that mean for me now? You know, we've talked about businesses' commitment to ensuring that there is greater diversity in pipeline. We've seen a number of initiatives come out that will support Black talent in the workplace from intern level to director level. We've seen businesses commit to change. But actually now, the question is, how are you measuring that? And I know that we can measure those things through the ethnicity pay gap report, but it's more so how are you now getting a sense of feeling around inclusion for your Black colleagues, especially as we look to Black History Month. So I think for organisations, there is one thing around the acting, but it's also about measuring where you have come and where you need to go. And that's through things that, like your internal surveys, specifically asking questions around how people feel and whether people feel that there more needs to be done. But Mm. I think also in terms of nurturing the talent that you have, really ensuring that whether it's a sponsorship program that you're running, whether it's the events mentoring program that you're running, or just the general mentoring program, you are actually starting to see that being reflected in the talent pipeline. Because for 2023, people want to see that, you know, as I look, I see more people like me. We have made progress, not enough. And I think people just need to start to see that. People need to be able to feel it on a personal level. Even if you may not be the person at the top, you can see others around you, you know, getting, breaking through those ceilings and actually advancing in their own careers as well and opportunities coming for them as well. So I think 2021, I think many people dubbed it the year of accountability following the murder of George Floyd. 2022, it's all about action, not words. 2023, it's about actually seeing that change take place. And that's where I think we're going to be getting to. People are going to be holding your businesses more account because now there's a power of the power is exchange in terms of the power of hands. Employees are now more vocal, unlike times when they weren't before, because of whether you are co- conditioned culturally. But people are now saying, OK, I'm going to use my voice to am- and I'm going to work with others to amplify the voice for change. But I also want to see it. I want to feel it by this time. And I think that's where they want to get to by 2023. That, I think, is really powerful. And the two things I'd add to it. One is, you know, if we live in a world of talent and labour shortages, and, you know, it's been happening to, for years to say, well, you've got to fish in the entire pool. Mm. But, you know, we're heading for a world where 20% of the popula- population of the United Kingdom is non-white. Yeah. And, and that percentage will, will grow. It's economic nonsense not to think that EDNI is is linked to... Uh, business performance yeah but there's also something about you know people want you said people want to see it in their business I think that's right um it's one thing to write policies and to have an idea of what your business 
wants to do and is trying to do and many recruiters would feed this back to me in terms of yeah it's not enough to say to a client now these are the things we do and these are our policies you have to show (laughs) uh show some returns on that and i think for when we when we look at our businesses and i say this as a the chief executive of a business some of this is about the experiences people have that we haven't planned for but which are deeply embedded in our culture and it's uncomfortable to call that out we ha- we recently at the rec had a really big successful event in lots of ways mm. um and I was 95% satisfied that it was a successful event, probably a little less than that, because we were, we, you looked at the room and we clearly for that event had not drawn a diverse enough crowd yeah. um, on, on some aspects, you know, gender diversity was fine. Yeah. Um, but if we look at the recruitment industry, it is just true that we have an awful lot of uh, diversity at entry level. And not enough is yet being pulled through organisations. We don't have enough uh, more senior recruitment leaders. So there's yeah. something there in terms of, you know, what can we do in our businesses to to address that? But also um, acknowledging that clients are going to be asking to see that happening in our business all the more. Which brings me to sort of my second question, really, which is about, you know, a lot of this is about partnership working between clients and recruiters um particularly on those middle to senior level shortlists where you're pulling people up through uh, you know the pipeline makes people sound like oil but you put (laughs) up through the talent development structures of uh, of the labor market and and putting people into positions where they can be visible and effective but also helping people around them acknowledge that maybe some of those people come different paths from the ones that have been mostly used before i think um i think back to the work that the parker review did where Mm -hmm. the first conclusion was there are enough non-white people to uh boost the skills uh the uh, the skills of our boardrooms we're just looking in the wrong place for them what sort of things could we be adopting in 2023 to make a difference and do you think that maybe there's a driver coming from the investor side to really push that up as well? Definitely. I think to just to build on the point you made just before you went into the question that you asked me just now, I do think that, you know, the other thing that organizations as well as recruiters are probably starting to see is because of the way the, the economy and everything is changing, people are trying to reskill and upskill. And so for many people of color, you know, who were taught to be in a specific area, some people are shifting out of that. You know, the next generation are now diversifying their skills portfolio. So there is opportunity to attract greater talent because the skills are different. The challenge that lies, though, is whether organizations can see and identify those skills and see how they can, they're transferable to meet their organization. So someone jumping from teaching and wanting to go into consulting and so on. There are core skills that they have in terms of project management, public speaking, negotiating. How do we see those skills transfer? And when I think about it from a from an ethnicity perspective you are seeing more people shift from that so I think that's just something just to add to that conversation around you know the traditional roles and also looking at the skills that we have 
on to the question that you asked me specifically around, you know, the influence of investors. Yes, most definitely. I think, and we saw this more so, especially in the last year, year and a half, where you saw organizations and investors now say, you know what, we want to see the change. It's less about, you know, just doing it because you you can and when you can. And I know that we first started off with the 30% club. That was really one of the places where we started to see change at senior leader le- leadership level when the 30% club conversation started. And now you have, you know, change the race ratio and then you have other investors like legal and general and so on that are now saying, hold up a second, what's going on? And this is even happening in the US, I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago where they are also saying this, having the same conversation, saying that we are holding you as businesses to account. And I think that that pressure should hopefully, you are hoping, <laughs> drive change in that. But it's it's more than just having those external pressures. There needs to be a clear intent and a desire from within to actually want to change. And to see that for the better good of not just your organization and your people, but from a sustainability um, conversation, the nature of businesses are changing. And as you were saying, there are there is greater, there is more. I can't remember the stats right now, but looking at the workforce and how it, the nature of the changing workforce and the generations that are now in going into the workforce, it's so different. And with that difference comes greater diversity. And I think partnering with organizations that can help you to improve that diversity is one thing, but actually making sure that your culture within is going to sustain that and help you advance for the years to come. That's where you're going to be thinking about the impact you're making and you're thinking about the measurement of your success. So I do think there is a couple of things just from what I've said. There is one about understanding the changing nature of the workforce now and the fact that people are reskilling or in some cases upskilling to be able to tap into other industries. And therefore, that should bring diversity to that, especially in that middle management. Because what we've also seen is that, you know, when we had this conversation probably in 2017, 2018 around recruitment and diversity, everyone was focused on how do you actually just get people in? Now, the conversation is how do you get people in in those middle level roles? And with that upskilling and reskilling, with the pressure from investors and boards, it's now there is now a, a, a focus, I would hope, on people thinking about, okay, what do we really need in our organisation? But also, if we get somebody in, how can we nurture them? I was having a very personal conversation with another, a couple of other black females that are progressing in their careers as as I, as am I. And we said something that actually it's, and I think it's worth reflecting on, which is that as you progress, it's less about your ability to know what to do, but it's actually how you communicate that. And for many, I can't speak for all black people, but for many people of color, you know, there are ways in which we communicate that slightly differs to others that may have been brought up in this way of doing things. And so there is something about making sure that the culture is inclusive for that, to be able to speak to those groups, because the messaging is the same, how we communicate things is different. And I think that's going to be the difference, aside from the external pressures from investors, aside from the agencies you work with, it's about making sure ultimately you can nurture that talent because they're there because they can smash it. But can you speak and communicate effectively to be able to understand where we need to get to? That is such a powerful point. And it's something that's occupied my mind for years um, because it's about 
our definition of what successful looks like. Yeah. And we have preconceptions. And it is why uh, that kind of public schoolboy confidence gets people so far. Um, And, you know, for me, I think that the critical thing is about moving from the idea that there's a way to be a senior person Mm. to the idea that there are a number of ways in which one can be effective and senior. And of course, there are some non-negotiables to that. Of course, there are. And we need to help people address those non-negotiables and develop them, whatever their starting point, wherever they're coming from. But that sense that you have to be a certain way in order to be senior, I think it's profoundly and embeddedly discriminatory because because it's bound it's it's built on a a a kind of a a model answer which is boundless confidence kind of probably male uh probably rp in pronunciation and a certain (laughs) way of communicating and and this is this is why i think this this edni stuff is so important because if you get it right it lifts all boats i worry about you know how we reach into communities across the country where people don't have opportunities some of those are majority asian or majority yeah. black communities but some of them are majority white communities yeah, yeah and and actually you know if we get our approach to leadership and development right all those communities would be helped by um, by kind of redefining our expectations and putting the right supports in place is such a powerful point, Effie. And I think, um, sorry, no, just to jump on, I think the other, the other thing, and this is probably the umbrella everyone is using, is the socioeconomical inclusion angle, mm. which is the umbrella piece to this whole DI conversation we're having now, which is that, and I am thankful for that you brought the point about it's not just black or brown, it's also white people as well, because of the intersect of diversity, the intersect of class, disability, age, and so on there are different things that will inhibit an individual to be able to one, feel comfortable to be their full selves and feel that they're going to be appreciated as they progress up the ladder into that middle management role. Because we have, you you get that internal battle of are you good enough, that imposter syndrome, that everything else. So I think for businesses, especially for those that are, you know, recruiters, but also people looking to hire people into their business and work with the recruiter to do so, you really need to think about, you know, what what is the structures you are creating in place to ensure that there's inclusive inclusivity from a socioeconomical inclusion aspect and that understanding the point that you made know that we're not all going to speak the same look the same and everything else but the messaging and the ability for someone's skills is is what is what got them there they're skilled enough to be there they may just not communicate the same way as you and that's okay too yeah and some of this again is about as a leader of organizations once you've made that leap how do you help others to see that they should make that leap and so much of it is about what you tolerate is what happens i'm I'm very you might recall antonio hortosario lloyd saying this well we were both at the cbi um but that that piece around it only changed when i didn't let them do what they wanted to do unless they did what i wanted which was diversity um which brings me to a, a question about you know how do we make inclusive recruitment um far less of a oh yes and we can make it inclusive for you and far more of it's embedded into our process that 
what we do for you will be inclusive um because i think that's a big change as well isn't it yeah i think when we think about how we embed it into process that's the uncomfortable bit <laughs> because for people they now have to sit and think about okay so you know i do a lot of training with organizations around allyship and privilege but a very interactive session around it and to be able to understand how to embed inclusion into a process, you have to also understand where, and I don't like the term unconscious bias, but where the biases are. So you have to then understand, okay, so based on my experience, how would it, am I able to hire someone like me or would someone not like me be able to come into the organization? And then you start to think about, okay, so what are the, what are the things that are, what are the blockers here? You know, when you're really thinking about a truly inclusive organization, not just in, in words, but in practice um, that you can speak to. And also the people that are getting interviewed can say, oh, you know what? I didn't get the job, but I really valued the way in which the process was and how inclusive it was. It's by when they see that panel, people look, people go with their visuals, first of all. You know, you look at who's 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 interviewing you. Even if your organization does not have diversity, you know, it's the way also in which you speak and the questions that you ask and how you are, you know, wanting to know more. You know, we always have when we're doing recruitment training or inclusive recruitment training, things not to ask, <laughs> things to ask. And it's, again, the visuals, what you're saying and how they also feel that they can be part of your culture. Because I'm sure you've noticed, especially most people now are asking, okay, so what is the organizational culture like? You know, how are things going? What does progression look like for me? If you're able to answer those questions, you're, people are able to see that this is some way that it can work for them. Inclusion weighs and looks different to different people. I think but what people can ultimately see that would define an inclusive recruitment process is when you have you know a clearer process of what that looks like and you have the visuals within your 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 panels or your recruitment panels or interview panels and it's also when you in the questions that you're asking because before they, that's all they can measure it off you know some organizations also do or showcase their level to inclusion by data i know not many people feel yet feel comfortable yet in terms of disclosing their data but i see many organizations will say when people are applying oh please you know we want to be able to track the diversity of our workforce so can you anonymously fill in this survey about your ethnicity your gender and so on and so forth and that also speaks to the fact that they are trying but because some people may have had previous bad experiences with it they may not see it in that inclusive light so that's what i'm saying inclusion and inclusive inclusive recruitment looks different to different people but the ultimate baseline of it is being able to see it in the questions being asked and also be able to see it in the panel that are being introduced to you and actually being just open honest and authentic I think that's what people want to see more so in the process. And for quality controls for an organization or a recruiter that's working with a business on, you know, what they want to see to ensure that they are inclusive is I know we talked about it at the CBI, the Rooney rule, ensuring that if you're thinking about management roles, you are at least ensuring, and this is the baseline of baselines, at least one person of color in a management role, but you should be able to aspire for more when you're looking at management roles. The other quality controls that you have is ensuring that all your managers or people are trained. Um, one of the things that I do when I'm working with recruiters is I ask them, you know, give this is the industry and the roles that we're recruiting for. 
Can you show me some data to show me, you know, what does diversity look like for these roles? Have you recruited for this role? So if it's a research role, a policy role or sales role, what do you have an understanding of the breakdown in demographics of people that have normally applied for this role that you've helped your clients with? So I can start to see how they are prioritizing diversity as well, because it's not just me as the business, because I'm going to have to answer to the people that are saying, well, where are we are on this? And I can then say, oh, well, the organization we've worked to, this is the this is their previous um, impact that they've made around helping an organization on their diversity journey. So there are multiple levers that you have to do. Part of it is making sure that you are working with an organization that can reflect that when you're recruiting. The second thing is about making sure that your organization also is, you know, it's it showcases that you are inclusive in how you approach the whole process. But the third thing about that is also people look more so now at your website, they look at your social media, they look to see, you know, yes, you are trying to recruit me, but do I see anybody in your organization that reflects me? And that can be on any channel that you use, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, or whatever, LinkedIn. Can I see someone that can speak on your behalf of your organization or within any image or, you know, collateral that you have? And I think that's the other thing. So there is and there's advice I give to businesses is don't get overwhelmed by it, but actually figure out what works best for you and what does inclusion look like for you and your organization. And to do that, because where you can do that is ask the people within your organization, how are their perceptions around inclusion and what could you be doing better? And then apply that to your recruitment approach. I think there is that listening to staff thing is really important. That yeah. visibility thing, and it's not just the website. You know, you, if you walk people through the office on the way to the room for the interview, yes. they will be data gathering the whole way. Yeah. So what what will they see? Yeah. And the, these things are really really important. And of course, from a client perspective, yeah. and one of the things we're trying to do at the RSC is build the sense of in the industry that um, a good consultant works with a client and challenges the areas where the client is letting themselves down Absolutely. so particularly going not that proxy because that proxy is uh, is ruling out a very diverse uh, a very diverse group of uh, group of candidates classic example from what we did last year actually where you know if you look at uh, recruiting into central government if you ask for people with previous security clearance well that's great in terms of them not having to go through security <laughs> clearance for the job but the yeah. pool of people with previous security clearance is much whiter and much maler than the, than the wider pool of candidates yeah. and so that there, there's um there are processes and that, and that maturity of conversation between yes. the recruiter and the client and i think what i'm finding powerful and what you're saying is that being okay with the client yeah feels to me really important and it, it is a re it is honestly it's a mature conversation because if you are an organization that's coming to a client to say help me with this recruitment we know we're not that great but we need we need help with but we know we have biases that may t that may come out in different ways that's fine because then you then have to trust the recruiter that you're working with that they can do it for you. And if they present to you someone that doesn't look like the image that you are accustomed to, are you ready to say, you know what? Yes, that's my wild card option. I'm going to interview them. Or are you going to be like, oh, this doesn't quite fit with the vision that we always normally have. And it's not even how they say it. It's how your mind thinks to it. 
And so I think that is the other thing, that mature conversation of if a recruiter does propose someone to you that isn't normally in your line of sight, being able to say, you know what, maybe this could be something new that we should tap into, because clearly what we've been doing before has not worked. And I think that's a really important but powerful conversation to have because the challenge the recruiter has is that they're not just dealing with you from the organization who may be in HR that is saying it they also as a recruiter they may have to speak to the line manager and so on and so all the prerequisites of an individual gets filtered through a chain and by the time it gets the recruiter it's well this is what we want but the recruiter has a hard job of having to see through that understand your existing need as an organization and then give you something that you may not necessarily be you know used to so i think there is a maturity in that conversation to prepare yourself as a business that you need to be thinking about you know stepping into that realm of unknown and you know, you know we talk about being uncomfortable sometimes because the recruiter can say to you actually well this is where this is someone that we propose and they will be a good fit based on you know previous ex- experience or engagement with them you as an organization are you willing to take that on board because you're either fearful because it's not something you're used to or you're either fearful because your biases have presented itself unknowingly in the process and that's where the cultural pressure on the line manager who's often the decision maker and final hiring yes. is so important and and a real reason for hr edni professionals in the client and recruiters to be co-conspirators yes. in build in in building an organization listen if that's been a great chat and there's so much there that uh that we could go on for hours about and we will but just not on this recording and if people want to connect uh if he best on linkedin or is there some other way yes you can follow me on linkedin adefer a-d-e-i-f-e and then my surname is o-n-w-u-z-u-l-i-k-e adefer omunzalike on linkedin and yeah drop me a message and we can have a conversation well, Effie, uh, you and I have known each other a long time and any time with, spent with you is always a blessing. But um, the, this has been a really great chat. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you very much, Neil, and thank you all for your time. Well, what a great chat that was with Effie. If you've enjoyed this discussion of some of the role of the industry in stepping up on equality, diversity and inclusion, why not try some of our other recent podcast episodes that deal with this topic? Episode 14 for 2022 with Kate Headley on narrowing the disability employment gap, or perhaps episode 16 on promoting more inclusive recruitment practices as an industry, featuring our inclusion ambassador, Scarlett Allen Horton. A couple of great episodes there to allow you to dig a little deeper on some of the themes that we've been exploring today. Thank you again to Ify for joining us today, and thank you to you for listening in. Join us again soon on another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon, and check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, so subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.